lost a wallet in the park theater, well, I'm kind of like into leather. So I'll be returning the money, but I'm going to keep the wallet. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And this time we are uh, going back to one of our favorite guest stars. Uh, Abe Vigoda. Yes. Um, Abe Vigoda. Was he in other episodes? I didn't actually check. I don't know if he actually has. I just like Abe. Well, this was a this was an epi pick. So, Epi, which episode did you bring to us this time? All right. We're digging deep into season five. I don't know what deep means. <laughs> uh, episode two of season five. So, either that's deep into the season uh, from the perspective of today looking back Mm-hmm. Or very shallow into the season from the perspective of watching it from the beginning of that season. <laughs> so uh, please ignore what I'm saying here. Uh, episode two of season five, Rosendahl and Gilda Stern are dead. And uh, I chose this one because Rita is in it mm-hmm. playing Rita. And <laughs> we had such a fun time with Rita last time. I thought it's a, we should have another. We, we should treat ourselves to mm. another Rita episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so we have the return of Rita Moreno as Rita Kapkovic, um, who we did talk about in her first appearance uh, in our episode 52, The Paper Palace, uh, which was a season four episode of the show. Um, and one for which Rita Moreno won uh, an Emmy for her uh, guest star appearance. And we talked all about that and kind of the uh, kind of her relationship with the people on the show and some accolades and all that stuff uh, in that episode. So in, in a blatant effort to uh, try and promote older episodes, we'll say if you want to hear more about Rita Moreno, uh, Juanita Bartlett and the Rockford Files, check that episode out. Yeah, sounds good. Plus, it's a great episode. So Yeah, like I said, we really enjoyed it. And I think we do better on episodes we really enjoy. So, uh, yes, as we'll get into, this follows not only with the character, but also picks up some of the narrative threads um, yeah. from that episode, but not in a way that means you have to watch the previous one, as the show so so deftly handles continuity. Um, it's there if you're if you see it. You know, if you've been watching the show, you can appreciate it. But if this is the first episode you ever tune into, you're not losing anything if you haven't seen the previous episode with this character. Mm -hmm. They were both written by Juanita Bartlett, um, who, again, Rita Moreno liked working with for, among other reasons, uh, because she really knows how to write women characters, her own words. And as she so often does with her episodes, this one does have a, I'd say, a nuanced and compassionate portrayal of um a marginalized character or a character whose profession marginalizes her yeah i mean this is uh there's (laughs) a a lot to get to in the episode um uh this one's directed by william uh, ward again who we've seen in many many episodes we most recently saw him in our episode on guilt um Mm. and he did lots of these late season episodes um so when do we want to talk about the title? Do you want to talk about that now or talk about that more at the end? Uh, we can talk about it now if you want. Um, I mean, we don't know who Rosendahl and Gilda Stern are until we right. watch the episode, but we know the reference. Right. Uh, Rosencrantz and... Rosencrantz and Gilda Stern are dead. Yeah, there we go. 
So that is the uh, uh, Tom Stoppard play. So this is something that, you know, coming up through a theater scene uh, in in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, I know about this show. <laughs> yeah. We did yeah. it in my drama program. I, I, you know, know people who have been in it. And it was kind of a touchstone for theater nerd jokes and stuff like that. Uh, so, but I did look it up just to be like, I don't know when this actually came out. Um, so it's a Tom Stoppard play. It came out in the late sixties. I don't know how much, much of the audience one would assume would recognize this as that reference. That's a good question. Like I was tangentially theater. What's the word I'm looking for here? Adjacent. Adjacent. Yes. Uh, (laughs) although if I'm already saying I'm tangentially, well, yeah, I was theater adjacent in, in high school, which would, uh, and I remember it being a big thing then, mm-hmm. but that was in the nineties for me. So that would have been 20 years later, but I guess if it, if it came out in the sixties and mm-hmm. here's the other thing about trends in theater, mm-hmm. uh, especially uh, at the high school level, everyone in high school is learning about theater. They start learning and getting excited about classics. I feel like if it was trendy while I was in high school, it was probably trendy while the generation before me was in high school, sure. right? Like it just isn't a fast moving. Uh, right. Yeah. Because this is so, so the, the play, if you're not I familiar, mean, people are still doing Shakespeare for <laughs> sake. Come right. on, let's move on. <laughs> it only exists because of Shakespeare, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's this kind of absurdist existentialist exercise of a play where the characters Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are two bit players from Hamlet, right? They have these like very minor roles in Hamlet. Uh, they're these messengers or whatever. And so uh, as in my program, RNG mm. was referred to. So in RNG, then the two main characters are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And then they have kind of a waiting for good dose influenced set of action while the main characters from Hamlet come on and off stage because they're going basically from the wings out to do their yeah. parts and then like coming back. Yeah. So I think any modern to contemporary high school drama program, you do Hamlet and then you do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead to be like, here's the relationship between classic theater and like modernist theater. Right. Mm-hmm. Teach you that in theater, there's only a set, a finite number of characters, <laughs> and we have to reuse them over and over and over. Over and over. Theater criticism digression aside, the title of this one, because I, you know, I'm like, okay, I wonder why this title is here, and right. I think as we learn, it's mostly just for the pun. It feels like I don't, I don't know if there's other parallels. Like I'm not intimately familiar with the play, but it, it does feel just like. If I had to guess, I would have guessed that they had a Dr. Rosendahl mm-hmm. who gets killed. And then they were like, quick, let's invent a Gilda Stern mm-hmm. to kill off as well. And then we have a title for the episode and we're good. <laughs> if anything, structurally with the story, Rosendahl and Gilda Stern have as much impact on our main characters as Rosencrantz and Gildenstern do on Hamlet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. But because it is titled Are Dead, I was like, so is there some kind of like, I don't know, winking nod to the idea that the characters we're watching are the bit players and all the actual action is happening off camera? And that is not the case. It is a normal episode. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was going to say, like, only insofar as 
that's how it is often in the Rockford Files. Right. Like, so this episode, not to, to pre-do it all, but like Rita is getting swept up in something that really has nothing to do with her. Right. And so that is probably the, the, where you could draw that line, right? Yeah, like that, I suppose. That seems, but like, that's not unusual for the Rockford Files. Exactly. That's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. what I was trying to say is that for the Rockford Files, this is a totally normal narrative setup. Yeah. It does, I guess, if you view it from a certain way, the drama that leads to these events does happen off camera. Yeah. But then we see it literally on camera at the very end. So there's <laughs> a little bit there. But yeah, no, it's mostly the pun. I just, as a theater nerd, decided to try and, and, and overanalyze it and came to the conclusion that, uh, no, it's just a funny name. <laughs> I appreciate the, the attempt. Um, well, speaking of appreciating attempts, Epi, how do you feel about the attempt and... I suppose successful <laughs> execution of this preview montage. That's great. Uh, I okay. So we've done the preview montage for every episode, and we've done how many episodes? Uh, this will, by the time this comes out, will be close to sixty. Okay. So you'd think at this time I would have a uh, a rubric against which I could judge a montage. <laughs> Let me just say what's in the montage that I liked. Uh, the first off was the Dennis quote, like right from the beginning, you wouldn't be dumb enough to mess around in an active police investigation, which just tells us as viewers that Rockford is going to be dumb enough to mess right. around in an active police investigation, which is wonderful. As per usual. Yes. We get some car chases. So, yes. All right, good. We're going to deliver on that. Uh, and we get Rita. Mm -hmm. If I weren't selecting this from imdb but instead <laughs> coming home on a friday night and turning on the tv that would be welcome very welcome news the joy i would feel would be akin to when i was a child watching scooby-doo <laughs> and they had two different opens one open where it's the scooby gang and the other open where batman and robin show up because it's the episodes of scooby-doo with guest stars <laughs> <laughs> and i get really excited because it could be Batman or Robin or the Harlem Globetrotters. You don't know, but it always turns out to be uh, Don Knotts. I was about to say Don Knotts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why of all the Scooby-Doo episodes that I've seen, the only guest stars I can remember are Don Knotts. Did right, he do lots right. of them? I think he probably did. Or, yeah, I think so. And in fact, is the only reference I have for Don Knotts. I don't know who he is other than yeah. as a guest star <laughs> on Scooby-Doo. A professional Scooby-Doo guest star. Don Knotts. Uh, but Rita Rita Moreno is not the Don Knotts in the Rockford <laughs> Files. She is the Harlem Globetrotters or the Batman and Robin of uh, the Rockford Files. And then we get uh, <laughs> we get a callback to the $300,000 that Rita had inherited in the previous episode that she was in. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, <laughs> that she managed to Rockford her $300,000. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a verb meaning to to burn into nothingness? Yes, yeah. <laughs> to somehow lose a quantity of money that you required. Great, yeah. I think we are all set to see what's going on here. Uh, <laughs> I will note that the car chasing, in fact, involves a J-turn. So oh, yeah. we are getting the highlights right here in the preview montage. Hello, listeners. We really appreciate you being here. 
and we want to make sure that you know that you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. In addition to episode previews and access to the 200 a day Rockford Files file spreadsheet, our patrons get plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we talk about movies we're watching, books we're reading, and games we're playing. 200 a day will remain free to all for as long as we do it. But if you want to help support us and get access to the new Plus Expenses audio feed, you can become a patron for just $1 an episode. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe-level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him at Jim Likes Games on Twitter. Shane Liebling, if you play games online, you know you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Kevin Lovecraft. Hear him on the RPG Actual Play podcast, the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, over at misdirectedmark.com. Jay Adon. Check out his amazing miniature painting over at jayadon.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, and finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and our detective patrons. Check them out on Twitter, Eric and Tenor at Antenor, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course... Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them, too, at 200pod. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it. And check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. We start our episode uh, at the Marina Del Rey Motel, where there is an orthopedic surgeon conference going on. And uh, we see Rita, your favorite, our favorite, Dennis's favorite, uh, good friend, uh, Rita Kapkovic, uh, walking out of this conference on the arm of a very tall, square-jawed man, and he seems very uncomfortable. Um, but uh, she has some uh, dialogue with the doorman um, about, uh, you know, he says to call his car, and she's like, no, let's, let's just walk. It's a nice night. I think it's great and wonderfully uncomfortable that... Uh, Rita and the doorman are on a first name basis. Yes. <laughs> so for this guy who's walking with her, okay, so we know as previous viewers what Rita's job is. Right. Rita is a sex worker. She's a prostitute. And seeing that this is a conference, even before we see Rita, mm-hmm. like I know what, <laughs> like I'm like, Rita's in this episode, orthopedic, because orthopedic surgeons, uh, they know how to party. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, so watching her walk out with him, uh, you don't need to know this to get the context of what's happening, I think, because of the way Rita plays the character. Mm-hmm. Like, she's really chatty. The guy seems very uncomfortable with uh, the scene that is that is sort of – that she's able to attract. And then she's chatty with Harry, uh, and I'm like, Harry knows what's up. Yeah, Harry definitely knows what's up. And then this is kind of, I think, sealed, if you have not seen this before, as they're walking away from the hotel and he – says something about, like, let's just go back to your place. Right, yeah. She keeps up a, not patter, but, like, she's talkative. She's a talkative, yeah. friendly person, right? And so she's yeah. she's keeping up one end of a of the conversation uh, and saying, that, like, oh, but you said you wanted to see a piano player. I know a great piano player. There's a bar. We could just walk over there. It's a nice night, et cetera, et cetera. We then see two, two guys who are clearly goons watching yeah. them from a car uh, as they leave the hotel area. And they have a little bit of dialogue that is extremely menacing mm-hmm. and also sets up that there's a goon and a creepy goon because the goon is not sure what they should do because there's two people together. It's shortly right. revealed that they're after the guy. They're not after Rita. And then the creepy goon to establish that he is both creepy 
and a goon. Yeah. Already it's going sour. It's good to me. What are we supposed to do about the broad? Whacker. You ever whack the broad? I don't like it. It's great. <laughs> so gross. My notes just in all caps. Villains. They also have good late 70s goon haircuts. Like kind of greasy, pomp, like half pompadour, half curls. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the really good goons have been in the earlier seasons. Um, sometime in the middle, they kind of are get a little more generic. These are some good goons. The non-creepy one, if the, if 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 one can be described that way, the less <laughs> creepy one, uh, actually has a little bit of an arc throughout mm-hmm. this episode, which is just kind a of nice. little bit. Yeah, yeah. So our goons do pull up and grab the grab the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. That's where it becomes clear they're here for him. But they grab her, too, because, you know, she's a witness or whatever. They take the two of them to a waiting limo where they roll down the rear window. And who's in that back seat? But oh, Abe yeah. Abe Vigoda. Abe Vigoda. Fish! Uh, if you've ever watched Barney Miller, mm. he plays fish. Anyways, <laughs> the point is, is at this point in his life, uh, the joke is that Abe Vigoda is old. Mm-hmm. And he will live for many, many more years, folks. Yeah, in fact, he he just died in 2016. Yeah, yeah. So around this time in his life, the ongoing joke in the TV series he was in is that he is old. His first TV series credit is in 1949. Yeah. Abe, okay, so let's just talk a little bit here. His role here isn't on screen a lot. Right. But this is a man with menace. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you you hire the whole man, but you get the the eyebrows are really all you, you get. Need. The eyebrows, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. eyebrows are really really what do it here. Um, you remember in uh, the reincarnation of Angie, how we how there's a, a plot moment where the bad guy, the Big Lebowski, um, yes. technically he works for someone, and the someone is like an older guy who's ill, and there's like yeah. one little scene to show us that, and the fact yeah. that you know, oh, we have this. We have the big boss, and he's in charge, but he's ill, so he has nothing to lose or whatever. And we talked a little bit about how, like, okay, that's fine, but it was a little weird that we had a whole scene just for that when it's kind of unnecessary. Right. This is the opposite of that, where it's like, Abe yeah. Pagoda, <laughs> he's the menace. We see him early, and we see him a couple times, so he has more screen time. The goons are the bad guys. Like, the goons are the ones taking the action. But the fact that we have this guy... He's all motivation. He motivates the entire plot. Yeah. We, and we don't actually learn what his name is for a long time, so I think we'll just probably call him Abe Vigoda for a while. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reveal to the characters that's yeah. important. Um, this is one where we see a lot more of what's going on before Jim does, or in parallel to what Jim's saying. Um, anyway, so our, our tall orthopedic surgeon is uh, is Rosendahl from the title, so we yes. know what's going to happen to him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Abe Vigoda... Gets a good look at him and says, I'm looking at a dead man. Yeah. Before anything can happen, he manages to to scuffle free of the goons and run away. And the other guys run after him. The goons run after Rosendahl. Yes. A Vigoda stays in the limo and yells after them not to shoot because he wants to see. He wants yeah. to see this, this murder uh, go down. And Rita runs the other way to get out of the situation while everyone else is distracted. I'm not entirely sure, but I think they let us off the hook, morally speaking, uh, by... We don't see anything. Yeah, but also I think like when Rosendahl, when the scuffle begins, it looks like he's going to hide behind Rita or push Rita. 
There's some business with Rita that makes you go, this guy. I mean, that might be what makes the scuffle happen, is that yeah. they're next to each other and he, like, pushes her, something like that. Yeah, but then Rita makes a run for it. So we cut from there to Jim coming home from fishing. Yeah. Uh, we can see from the copious amounts of mail, mail on his floor that he's probably been gone for a little while. I expected a, uh, looking through them and them all being Bill's gag, but yeah. <laughs> no time for that. We have to keep nope. keep moving on. Uh, there's a message from Dennis on his machine and then a message from Rita. Uh, she's at the station. It's important. He really needs to come see her. She's been booked for murder. Yeah. You watch this because Dennis's message is like, I got some time off. You want to go down to Baja with me? We'll do some fishing mm-hmm. or, or what, what have you. And I think, I mean, I suspect that you watch Rockford slowly go from Baja to Rita. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like you listen to Rita and he's like, well, but I mean, obviously Rita's the type of person that ends up at a, at a police station often enough that, you know, also as far as Rockford knows, she's wealthy. Right. Right. Like what what it, what could she possibly need his help with? And then she gets to the murder charge and mm. you can tell he's not going to Baja. Yeah. Uh, so there is a demonstration going on inside the police station. We have uh, a number of signs waving around and say free Rita and justice yeah. for Rita. And all of the women uh, that are you know in her line of business are are there to support her uh, and protest against this bogus charge. They've got the permit and everything. Like, that (laughs) was, like, a thing that they say. Like, we've got a permit. So they know what they're doing. They're organized. There's a sergeant who's trying to kick them out, and they start saying, okay, well, call the the news, you know, get the TV cameras down here. It's starting to kind of get out of control. Jim arrives into this. You can get David Brinkley down here. Don't change things. Nobody sees Rita Kapkovich. Sergeant. I'll be right with you. I'm here to see Rita Kapkovich. You understand the word nobody? <laughs> She's entitled to counsel, and he's her counsel. The sergeant sighs and uh, lets him in. And, and Jim does his part, right? He's kind of like, everybody calm down. I'm going to go talk to Rita. Yeah. And the, yeah. the crowd, who has a, a leader, um, a Lucille, who seems to know Jim, is kind of like, okay, something's happening. So that calms down the crowd a little bit. She even sends a message from Ma. Message from Ma. I think yes. I believe that she is the Ma in this. Uh, yeah. In this situation, which is great. So Jim comes into Rita's cell, um, and at first she is salty. Yeah, salty. Kind of reprising how she acts with Dennis in the first episode in Paper Palace. Yes. Sure, you're here to quote help me, but. I call, you know, I don't see you. I haven't seen you for like, you know, he's like, what? It's been, you know, we've been busy. It's been, what, like six months? It's like more like eight months. Yeah. You you don't have time for me. And then I call you and you don't even come down here in my time of need. Right. Mm -hmm. But once Jim gets through to her that like he wasn't ignoring her, he literally just got her message because he's been out of town fishing with Rocky. And she's (laughs) like, oh, she comes around pretty quick. So, yes, according, according to these cops, she killed Dr. Rosendahl since the... Uh, Harry, the doorman, saw them leaving together, and he told the cops that he heard her, you know, telling him not to use his car, and they should go for a walk, and the bar she wanted to go to is closed on Sunday, and she didn't know that, but the cops are turning this all into that she was part of a setup for him to get murdered, which means she's uh, part of it. Jim has the line where he says uh, that they're making a motive out of her rap sheet. Which is in the montage, right? 
I, uh, I think so. And uh, yeah, so she she's uh, she's in trouble. Um, Jim asks her about her lawyer. She's like, you don't need me. You need a lawyer. And she starts talking about this public defender that she has. And Jim's like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you have a public defender? You can afford the best lawyer. And uh, it's a long story. She has enough to pay Jim. Right. Once she gets out of there, he just needs to go and find the guys who actually did it. And uh, once they can prove that they did the murder, you know, she'll be off the hook. And we can kind of see from her body language and facial expressions and Jim's in reaction that, like, she really needs to be out of jail. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not that she's been charged with this murder, which is bad, but, like, physically being confined in prison is getting to her. And Jim goes from trying to find out what happened to the money to being like, okay, I can do that for you. <laughs> I see how serious this is. We'll pick this up later, right? <laughs> and you see all this from facial expressions, or at least I do. Yeah, it's a very good scene. Uh We'll see this throughout this episode, but her character is there, there are all these great moments where people reveal themselves to be sweet on her in ways that they normally aren't. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rocky is because Rocky is with almost anyone except for Angel. <laughs> uh, but like Dennis, like you'll you'll see Dennis be like, oh, right. It's Rita. Let's let's help her out. You know, that kind of thing. And part of that is what happens in this scene where she understandably has all of this anger because she's been set to stew in this prison uh, and doesn't realize that Jim has in fact been away. But once she f realizes it, she just lets that go. Under I, I guess I'm appreciating it because I've, yeah. I've, I have witnessed more modern shows with characters who like, they're like, Oh, here we got grit for the mill here. We, we, we can, or grits for the mill here. We can, we can, uh, force these two characters to fight for a while. Mm -hmm. And in, instead they're like, nope, that was an honest, not miscommunication, but like, an, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're victims of circumstance in this moment. It's something that reasonable friends yeah. do. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm annoyed at you about this thing. Oh, well, here's what actually happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Moving like, on. All right. I still have some of that energy, but I'm not taking it out on you and then we're good. We uh, then go to just... A wonderful, one of the most wonderful scenes set in a sauna that I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. Where uh, Abe Vigoda is sitting in this full steamy sauna, just with a towel over his shoulders, chewing out his goons, who are both in full suits and keep just dabbing at their faces because yes. they're sweating. Oh, it's so good. So there's kind, of, there's kind of a back and forth before you kind of get the full picture of what he's worried about. Right. But essentially, sure, she's been picked up for this murder, but she got a good look at everyone. Right. He's going to be going back to court for a tax beef soon, and that means his picture is going to be in the papers. And as soon yeah. as she sees his picture in the papers, she'll be able to, to tie him into the murder, and that will be, you know, that will be bad. Um, one of the goons is like, well, she's already in there. Just let, let her take the, take the blame for it. And he's just not willing to... He, he just doesn't think that that's worth the risk right right uh so he wants her out of jail so that his goons can take her out on the outside uh a bunch of women are making are raising are taking donations to raise her bail and so he says to make an anonymous donation the less creepy goon she's hired a pi uh, he'll probably be sticking pretty close this could be a problem leo we all got our problems that one's yours now you handle it we all got our problems 
that one's yours. And it's just <laughs> like... Again, the menace. <laughs> oh, so good. There's no, nothing unclear about this at all. Like, this is... If you don't handle this, that's on you. And, uh, yeah. So much of how that's communicated. And this show does this a lot, right? But uh, the way this is communicated is contrasting the physical relationship with the you know with the the command structure right right he's an old man uh he's in this sauna he's not wearing any real clothes he's sitting down and then his two goons are in sharp suits standing up big beefy guys yeah uh looking down at him and they're the ones scared of him and doing what he says it's basic it's straightforward and it's very effective um, we go to an applauding crowd of women as Rita is let free. <laughs> uh, they all pitched in to raise the $10,000 for her bail. Uh, and she promises to pay it all back. Yep. But uh, Lucille says that everyone looks out for each other, right? Yeah. Who says this is a loan? Yeah. <laughs> so she starts talking to reporters saying how, uh, how mistreated Rita has been. Uh, Rita's public defender is there. Clearly uncomfortable. Oh. Yes. <laughs> One of the low-key big villains of this piece. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps on being like, don't say that. Don't get on record. Don't quote her on that. Uh, you know, let's get out of here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Lucille's saying that she was rousted because she's a professional hostess. And no one else would have had to go through what she went through just because of her job. Um, Jim you know, just kind of smooths over everything. It's like she's had a, she's had a long day. We're going to go so she can, you know, relax. Gets out of the crowd. So it's Jim, her, and the attorney. And the attorney is literally wiping off his lapel <laughs> where she was holding on to him to yeah. talk to him. And uh, saying that her profession is a liability. And all these, you know, all these prostitutes are saying things about you as a liability. She needs all the friends she can get. Um, and it's an unsavory case that he doesn't want to be on. But he'll do his right. best because it's his job. And it's like... <laughs> Oh, boy. (laughs) So she does not seem to be happy with him, and he clearly does not want to be part of this case. It's like, great. I just, because this is, I think, the last time these women show up in this episode, right? Like, yes. Mm -hmm. But there's just, there's something very wonderful about how this community just is written and how they come together for her. Mm -hmm. I think it says, it definitely says something about Rita as a person, right? Like, they're getting across something that we learned in the last episode she was in that if you haven't seen it, you need to get across here, which is that this is a person that like everyone loves, mm-hmm. like she, everyone, but people like this attorney, right? Like, like, <laughs> right. uh, there's the way society looks at her, but everyone who knows her just absolutely will pull out all stops for her. But, and, and also obviously these are all prostitutes, right? Like that, that, uh, that is her community. And it's a supportive one and one that looks out for each other. Yeah. I mean, with kind of the undercurrent of because no one else will. Right. 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 Yeah, it's good. Uh, Jim and Rita take off in the Firebird and we see an ominous car following them. Yeah, ominous car. But thankfully, they're going to uh, a different police station. The good old downtown where Dennis yeah. works to talk to Dennis. Uh, there is a wonderful callback here. Which this is just a straight up fun reference to the last episode, yeah. I think, where they're coming in to go to Dennis's desk and he says, I would take you into the coffee room to talk, but it's too public. <laughs> and in Paper Palace, their entire first 
chunk yeah. of that episode is in the coffee room where they're trying to talk and people keep coming in and out and interrupting them. So <laughs> I love that. Uh, apparently Dennis sent her a terrific pizza while she was in the joint. Yeah. The description of it is, <laughs> it's such an angel pizza. I just can't. See, when Den got back from Baja, he heard what happened. And he sent me over the most terrific pizza with mushrooms and sausages and mozzarella and anchovies even. I'm just hearing about it ought to give Chapman heartburn. But she had to come down here because all the cops on her who are actually assigned to her case don't believe her. They think she's, you know, that she did it. So they make excuses and won't even bring out the mug books for her to look through to try and point out these these other guys if they're in there. So Dennis is there to, uh, he's willing to help out even though he's not on her case. We have a good Billings appearance where he brings just the A's and uh, <laughs> Dennis asks, what, are you trying to get overtime? Jim's response is like, well, that's good thinking. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so clearly Billings is the Omega here. Like, they're, they're going to pick on him, but uh, he actually has kind of a good presence in this episode, mm-hmm. so that's great. So while uh, Rita takes a look at the mug books, um, Jim's going to go go do a couple things. And then this is the uh, from the preview montage where Dennis n- has his number. Yeah. Oh, what, you're going to run some errands? Go to the grocery store? You'd know you're not stupid enough to poke around in an open police investigation. <laughs> uh, and... Listeners, he is. <laughs> Jim, in fact, goes to a tennis club, and we see the goons still watching him from their car as he goes in. I love this little piece of exposition. It's so good. Because, you know, as a viewer, it's like, okay, he's going to go do some stuff. Then he goes to a tennis club. Okay, yeah. great. We stay with the goons for a second, where they say that, well, we're not going to stay watching Rita, because she's at a police station, and what, the cops right. are going to ask us why we're hanging around. We know where she is, but we follow this guy. First, he goes to the hospital where Rosendahl was on staff, and now he's here at Dr. Nevitt's club. Yeah. And it's like, okay, one sentence, all the exposition to show us what Jim has been doing and the clues he's been tracking down to get to the next important part of the narrative. And the fact that like he's clearly on the right track because they know that... The, we don't know Dr. Nevitt. We don't right. know... like, But they do... You know, enough to show that he's on the right track, that they know that what he is getting at. Yeah, they're like, oh, crap, now he's talking to Dr. Nevitt. Yeah. It also does that bit where it shows the relationship between the two goons. Like, there's mm-hmm. clearly uh, a more experienced one, the the creepy one. I think it's the creepy goon who's like, why don't we just stay with the woman? And then the other oh, one is okay. like, no, I'm more, I'm more worried about this guy. Yeah. Like, he seems like he's actually kind of a smarter goon. Yeah. Um, I think I could be misremembering, but for the sake of our conversation, I think that's what happened. Um, once Jim gets into the club, he gets flagged down by Edie Nevitt, uh, Dr. Nevitt's wife, uh, as Mr. Taggart, who's there, his secretary called ahead from the insurance company. <laughs> uh, we don't really have any cons in this episode, but this no. is just showing us the the aftermath of a successful setup for a con. Yeah. <laughs> so he's there because he's trying to he's compiling all of the information on Dr. Rosendahl's death, uh, and he wants to just talk to the, the doctor that he worked with most, Dr. Nevitt, um, just to get the most complete picture they can have for the report or whatever. Uh, but Edie is not a fan, uh, says <laughs> that he was a uh, an arrogant grandstander. Jim asks something like, uh, oh, so you weren't his biggest fan? And she says, <laughs> no, I was about three miles north of the cheering section. <laughs> she orders them both martinis, 
And then, as soon as they sit down, first eats his olive, and then about a minute later goes, are you going to drink that? And just downs <laughs> his martini. Yeah, and specifically she asks if he wants anything, and he's like, no, I'm fine. And then she gets a martini for him. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Uh, her kind of tirade about what a bad person Dr. Rosendahl was is cut off by Nevitt, who is... Uh, played by Robert Loggia, who we also recently talked about because he was the gangster Marcone in Drought at Indian Head River. Mm-hmm. And he's, isn't he the guy with the broken arm? No. No, okay. I'm Unfortunately, him. he seems like him, but yeah, uh, he's in one other episode that we haven't done yet. But I saw him and at first I was like, this is the gangster. And then I was like, oh no, that's not a Vlgoda. <laughs> that's yeah, Robert Loggia. Yeah. He's, he also looks like a gangster. Yeah. So we talked about him a little bit. He was he played mobsters in lots of things. He was in uh, uh, Scarface. Uh, you're thinking of Big. Yeah, he was in Scarface. <laughs> but he was also in Big. Yes. <laughs> anyway, he's great. He's Dr. Nevitt. Uh, and I just assumed that he was a gangster. Like, yeah. sure, he's a doctor, but he must be crooked because he's Robert Loggia. At this point in the story, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I All I know is that these doctors somehow have gotten themselves mixed up in uh, organized crime. Right, yeah. It's going to be a while before we realize just how... How weirdly specific it is. Yeah, how innocent they are of it, right? Like, they're a shady bunch. Everything about this says that they're up to their eyeballs in some, like, real estate scheme or... uh, Defrauding Medicare. Yeah, something. There's just... There's something going on, and uh, it'll just it'll be very much much more happenstance, I guess, yeah. than than what we uh, what, what we're thinking. But I'm definitely going down the Rockford route. Yeah, I'm assuming that this guy is crooked. Yeah, yeah, and his phone call doesn't help any. Right. So yeah, he wants to know why the insurance company cares about this, and Jim has this line about like we need to know, you know, there's a difference between whether it's like an accidental death from a robbery versus like a gangland style execution. Right. <laughs> and he uses the phrase uh like we need to know if he's involved with if he was involved with any criminal element. And we have a tight shot on Edie to see her react to the phrase criminal element. Um I kind of expected more from that actually, but I think that's just to give us that feeling of like this is shady. Yeah. I think, so Edie is a gossip. Yes. Right? And I think that is part of what's happening there. Yeah, she is over the moon to just, like, down martinis and tell Jim all the dirt on this guy. Yeah. They both overhear uh, Dr. Nevitt take a call where he has a very, again, suspicious side of the conversation. Uh, He wants to discuss something before anything further happens, et cetera, et cetera. But then he says it's just some property deal that he's part of. No big deal. <laughs> yes. He's going to go back and finish and have another tennis game. And then uh, Edie complains about like, oh, like Rosendahl is just like that, forgetting everything. Yeah. He's forgetting that we're taking someone out to dinner tonight and he's supposed to have a surgery at the hospital. That kind of stuff. And then she says, Betty is out of that at least, even with the you know, murder yeah. and the burglary. The Rosendahl house was robbed last night. Yeah. You know, just stole some stereo equipment and hi-fi and tapes and stuff. We see Jim make a mental note of that. Yeah. He's obviously surprised. And she's like, I'm surprised you didn't know about that. Or is Boston casualty only into life and death? Well, I, no, we're full service. That just is my department. 
Would you like another martini? Yeah, no thanks. One's my limit. We get a we get a rule of threes with the martini gag, right? Yeah. Um, also, I feel like I feel very sad for Edie. She seems to not have a happy life. Nobody here is comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. We then go to a I don't know schlubby. He's not disheveled, but he is kind of schlubby. Okay. Yeah. We don't really learn much about this guy yet. Uh, but he has an address written down on a piece of paper, and he is uh, finding Rita's apartment. <laughs> He does have like like white shoes and a white belt. Like I definitely yeah. noticed that. <laughs> it's like that's a it's an interesting uh, style choice. But he knocks on Rita's door. He says that he's from the public defender's office. She's talking to him through the door. Yeah, which I appreciate. She she's no fool. But he talks his way in, saying that he's from the public defender's office. I just need to talk to you for a minute. It won't take very long. And then there's a very ominous cut on like it'll just take a minute. Yeah, like the the nature of that cut made me go like, oh no. I I wrote down that she had good instincts not to trust him. Yeah, but then she went ahead and let him in, and now the show is gonna f- with me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From that ominous cut, we go to Jim pulling up in front of that apartment building in the Firebird, and he yeah. passes that guy as he comes out. And for whatever reason, something about him makes Jim suspicious. Yeah. Right, because there's no, nothing overt. He just kind of brushes past him and then turns around and is like, hey. And the guy yeah. just makes a break for it and runs to his car. It didn't sink into me that they were at an apartment complex until after this scene. So having the guy walk away from her house certainly would trigger suspicion in Jim. Yeah. But he's walking away from an apartment. So he could be like he could have an apartment there. Although probably... He does not. We don't know what kind of, like, what neighborhood this is in or whatever. But something about it sets Jim off. And I I love that. But then also, I'm worried about Rita. Exactly. Because where we left it, yeah, I'm like, this guy probably needs to be caught. But also, maybe Rita needs medical attention. We need to, like, take care of this. And Jim is on that wavelength. Because after the guy peels out in his car, Jim runs into the building and up to Rita's door and is pounding on the door and calling for her. There's a couple beats. He doesn't hear anything. He rears back and then does a full shoulder tackle into the door, busts through the chain, and Rita is on the other side of the room with a Danish in her hand, (laughs) being like, why are you trying to break down my door? Happy, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the information superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidia, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games, maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the Worldwide Wrestling, Pro Wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi? 
I'm back. I have my DM42 with me, and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again. Mm. All right, well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco. Well, let's get back to the show, then. Read is fine. Yeah. And Jim's response is, I like the sound of my shoulder breaking. <laughs> <laughs> and that whole, I was like, okay, this might be a fake. This might be a head fake. Yeah. But I tried to let just let myself go naturally with what the show was doing. So I was legitimately relieved to see Rita uh, un- unharmed. And uh, I'll be I'm pretty psyched to hear her Danish recipe. Mm-hmm. Unharmed and bedanished. Yeah, she's like, you put this in the microwave for 15 seconds and it comes out so hot you couldn't believe or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like... Also, it's clearly a donut, but maybe yeah. in L.A. you just call donuts Danishes. I don't know. I don't know how L.A. works. Um, she says she talked to that guy. She didn't believe him. She, he said he was from the public defender's office. Yeah. Uh, but she would, she didn't believe him. And when he started asking a bunch of questions that she'd already answered, she kicked him out. Jim uh, wants to know why she's back. Didn't she look through all the mug books? And she gave up because she got tired. Uh, Dennis had to leave. She was there all alone. You know, what's it going to accomplish? Uh, there's more of them than of us. And Jim yeah. says, well, there's only three of them I'm worried about right now. <laughs> uh, so through here, we see more of her apartment and we see it is huge. It is beautiful. It is well appointed. Um, she is in a much nicer apartment than she was in the last episode. Jim, uh, of course, is still worried for her safety and wants to get out of there. And she, he takes the Danish out of her hand and takes a bite as she puts her shoes on. Good old Jim stealing food from someone else. <laughs> My favorite. Uh, and I'd like to pause at this moment to just appreciate Rita's outfit. Oh, so good. It is, it is amazing. Uh, I would describe it to you, listener, but you should watch the show. So where do you go when you want to keep someone safe from gangsters? Rocky's house. <laughs> yes. Where he is making her coffee with cream and sugar, just the way she likes it. Uh, which is another callback to the uh, original episode where he gives her coffee with way too much cream and sugar. Yeah. But he's worried because she's eating like a bird. Uh, and then there's this weird gag about oh, how much so birds good. eat. Well, I read somewhere uh, birds eat 40 times their weight every day, something like that. No kidding. Well, all right, so she ain't eating like no canary. She ain't eating nothing at all. Besides, I ain't so sure I believe that. But it's just something I read. Maybe that's why birds are always... Oh, you live near a park, it kind of makes you wonder. I had to rewind it. I, there was, <laughs> there's something about this, this scene that is, in some ways, very modern. Mm-hmm. Rocky is being Rocky... And saying, you know, you're not eating enough to keep a canary alive. And it's a, that's a very Rocky type line. It's a thing that, that you would expect from the Rockford Files. And then Jim drops a fact. It's not as stunning as the one Dennis lays out in the movies where he's like, you know, bees die of loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about that fact and the way it just stops everyone in their tracks. Like you, you're expecting this to just turn right around into the discussion of the plot that's happening. And it's not, you have a moment where I ain't so sure I believe that, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I believe that, that some canaries can eat 40 times their weight. And then Rita has that line. Like she says something like, I always wondered because when you live close to a park and you see all of that and then like, that's it. 
Oh, because birds poop a lot. Is that the joke? (laughs) It's so weird. Like, it's charming, but it's strange. Like, in my head, I was like, is it is it a sex joke? Like, birds and the bees, yeah, but, like, you would go with rabbits if you're going to do mm-hmm. uh, that. And, yeah, no, I think it probably is a poop joke. I don't, or, you know, people feed birds in parks, so maybe it's just that they're always, I don't know. Like, it was definitely a joke we were supposed to get. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to even say it didn't hit, because the cadence of the scene did all the work it needed to do. It was just a fun, little, weird moment and uh i enjoyed it yeah um well they uh go from there somehow into a discussion of trying to figure out what uh as jim calls him mr peepers wants uh the mysterious guy jim saw him hanging out at the jail so maybe that explains why he noticed him like he passed him and then was like oh you were at the jail yeah yeah uh and she says that her read on him is that he's a salesman she can (laughs) tell because she's dealt with lots of salesmen he has a ruby ring, which apparently is a salesman thing. Uh, could be, could be. And then all these details about his clothes, like white belt, polyester pants, like whatever, you know, a whole list of things. And she says that when he opened his briefcase to take notes on what he was, on what she was saying, something fell out of it. Yeah. Uh, he said it was material evidence from a different case, but it's something metal and it was sort of straight and sort of round and it looked like it fell out of a car. So she thinks maybe he's a car salesman. Yes, because <laughs> car salesmen, notorious for carrying around parts of cars. I really thought that she was going to describe a little uh, single business card printing press and Jim was going to go get his to show her. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Like, he's a PI, but that is not, not the case. I love the bit here where she, I think her quote is, I've been on very good terms with hundreds of salesmen. Yeah. And Rocky's reaction to that, poor, sweet, innocent Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a great scene. I mean, it's a great scene because Rita and Rocky are both in the scene. You can't yeah. not just love what's happening there. But uh, also, it it, uh, it kind of it, it gives us a new, like, here's a new factor in the mystery and nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. So, okay. So this is it, right? This is the linchpin. This is, these are all the clues you need to solve the mystery. Right. And part of why it's not working is that we're treating Rita as an unreliable narrator. Okay. Because she says it's a, he's a salesman, and we're like, probably not. Well, Jim even says, like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would, some, why would a salesman be involved with all of this? And the fact of the matter is, just to spoil a little bit here, <laughs> he's a salesman. And once you do that, and once you try and figure out what fell out of his briefcase, like almost the rest of this just falls into place, mm-hmm. right? Like not not entirely, but like uh, we have to wait for another scene with a Vagoda, I think, before we get the final piece. Yeah, but it's so oblique at this point, right? It, it's all necessary. It's all part of the mystery and it doesn't make any sense to me and part of it is my own like not to not to get like get all luxury about it it's my own inherent sexism here (laughs) where i'm like whatever rita rockford's the expert right but rita clearly is the expert on salesmen (laughs) so oh yeah absolutely we're and both because of our inherent bias and also because we have been trained to do so by the show Right. We're taking Rockford's perspective as the correct perspective. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really dig this scene for what it does with that. Uh, and I don't think that that's 
remotely an accident. I think with mm-hmm. Winita, uh, Winita Bartlett at the wheel of the the script. I'm sure it's like haha, maybe not haha, but <laughs> uh, she's she knows what she's doing. Yeah, but yes, Jim. Uh, this whole thing doesn't make sense to Jim. He's going to follow up the one thread he can, which is sticking out Nebit's place to see what he does because clearly something's going on. Uh, Rita volunteers to go with them, even though she hates stakeouts because. He's doing this for her, and fair is fair. Yeah. And, uh, the end of the scene. Poor Rocky. But I have pie. <laughs> uh, he seems so sad that they're leaving before they, he can share pie with them. Yes. And Rita calls him a pussycat and gives him a kiss on the cheek. Yes. We could just watch this scene. Like, let's just have the three of them at Rocky's house. Uh, you know how, in this day and age... At least for a while there, it was the thing to have uh, an after show, mm-hmm. like a, a, a post Game of Thrones show or whatever. Right, like know. after The Walking Dead. Yeah, that kind of thing. An after show that was just like a half hour of no action. The 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 Rockfords, <laughs> <laughs> you know, them and and LJ playing cards or. Dennis fishing with oh Rocky and Jim, or like in this case, Rita enjoying some pie with the... Yeah, that'd be so pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there seems to be plenty of downtime on this stakeout as uh, yeah. Rita is getting oh, restless. Yeah. She's uh, being cooped up in the car. Um, why are we here anyway? Jim explains that Nevit, he was lying about uh, having a surgery at the hospital. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He lied about whatever he was talking about on the phone. That wasn't any property deal. So, seeing what he's going to do. He then asks Rita again, so what happened to that money? Yes. And she says that she spent it. $300,000 in one year? (laughs) It's none of his business. But, uh, you know, this is the very, like, responsible Jim looking out for other people's welfare. Rita, it is none of my business. But that money was your security. Jim, what's a person like me going to do with security? Well, you can buy a little house. I don't want a little house. Yeah. I feel that conversation because <laughs> as someone who lives a life with some element of financial insecurity. He's called it danger. <laughs> <laughs> lives a thrilling life. Lives a thrilling life of financial danger. The appeal of like, but you could just not spend that money. Yeah. Right. I feel that. <laughs> but I also don't want to deny Rita, right. her life, and her life does not include, find, oh, I want to make sure I'm financially secure. I'm going to, I did some math, because mm-hmm. you know me, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put this into some perspective here, because Jim points out, when she starts listing the different things that she has bought, and most of them for other people, right? Yeah, she bought, like, her apartment, some nice clothes, Yeah, but then she, like, fixed her friend's teeth, helped her friend's mother, who had a gallbladder operation. Yeah. Kidney stones. And you get the feeling she could just keep listing all these things that she's done for other people. Exactly. And and then he says, "You, what about the principal, right? Like, you could have done that on the interest alone. All right. So, as you may or may not know, I enjoy calculators. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite things about calculators are their manuals. <laughs> and this already, many of you have tuned out of the show. <laughs> but hold, hear me out here. I went through some old calculator uh, manuals from around this period. And the reason why I did this, uh, specifically business calculators, because in it they have example problems that include how much interest a bank will give you 
on a savings account, which is very different than what they'll give you nowadays. The uh, interest rates on these things are wild. (laughs) (laughs) It was a different time. Yeah. So a really conservative one would be about 6%. Oh, my God. $300,000, 6%. The first year, that's $18,000. So, okay, fine, whatever. But also... If you listen to this show, you know I'm going to put this in the inflation calculator. That is $76,000, just Mm. over $76,000 for year one. Right. That's a lot of money, folks. I believe that all the things that she listed could be bought for that amount of money. Maybe a little more, right? But like... So there's that side of it, right? Like, so we we can feel this pressure of like, how do you go through that kind of money? But... This is the other side of it. Everyone who wins the lottery ends up broke. <laughs> it's just how it is. Like if you don't, if you're not used to having that much money and you get it all right away, that's it. Like you're usually worse off than you were than before you did it. Yeah, that's one of the sad things about lotteries <laughs> that uh, that they don't really advertise, <laughs> which is it's kind of horrible to win the lottery. Pro tip: always take the installments. Don't take the lump sum. Yeah. If you win the lottery out there, you'll get more money and you'll be less likely to blow it all on something dumb over time. Anyways, I just that was my mini little math lesson mm-hmm. uh, and f- fiscal security lecture. I am not one who should be giving <laughs> any kind of financial advice. You also live a life of financial danger. It's the principle, the interest, and the peril. <laughs> well, before Rita can respond to what he what she did do with that principle. Uh, yeah. Nevitt leaves his fancy house and uh, they have to jump back into the car and get on the case. Uh, they follow him to a random gas station and from across the street with binoculars that Jim, of course, has in his glove compartment. Uh, Rita can see the guy that he's talking to in the back of a limo that is also parked there. And it is, in fact, the same one from that night. Jim takes a look and Rita's like, you know, OK, how are we going to find out who this guy is? But Jim recognizes him. That's Phil Gabriel. Rita's like, no. She knows the name, but uh, didn't recognize him by sight. He apparently looks older now than she thought he would. Yes. But he's apparently a dean of organized crime. Well known enough that Jim knows him by sight and knows that he is a a bad dude. And this is a new wrinkle because, sure, the cops are really going to go for Phil Gabriel is the one who killed this guy. You, you have my word for it when he's, yeah. you know, a powerful organized crime figure. So now we need to talk about the name Phil Gabriel. <laughs> All right. So 1978. All right. So 1967 is when Genesis forms. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can't not be, right? Like, it's got to be Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel smashed together. You would think so. It's a double reference because it's that. But also, I don't think this is stated in the episode at all. But in the credits, the character's name is is Phil the Dancer Gabriel. Yes. The only other Rockford Files episode that Abe Vigoda was in was the first episode uh, of the first season, the Kirkhoff case, where his character's name was Al Dancer. So huh. he plays Al Dancer, and now he's playing Phil the dancer Gabriel and that like that. Yeah. That just has to be a gag to his first appearance. Right. And it works on an ironic level, given what has happened to him right. to put him in the situation he is now. It's uh level levels and levels. Here. Yeah. Yeah. This is why you tuned in. This is the, 
the deep cuts. Oh, layers and layers. I mean, this is, uh, let's be honest, this is how I name characters in role-playing Oh, games. yeah. So many role-playing game characters are named after designers of role-playing games <laughs> because those are the books that are sitting next to me when we're playing. <laughs> is it also a reference to, to, his, char- to his fish character? Because apparently that character's first name is Phil. Is it? See, I didn't know that. All right. So, I mean, probably. How does a man named Abe get called Phil in everything? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Phil Fish is his name. Yeah, that's the that's the character from Barney Miller. Oh, yeah. And then he had a spinoff, which I did not know. I did not know that either. All right. Jim and Rita continue their investigation by going to the hospital after hours. Uh, Rita <laughs> is very nervous about all the sneaking around, and clearly Jim is in his element, including the the part where he's going to pick the lock on his door. Rita says, like, what are you doing? Don't you know that's illegal? You get busted for having those. And Jim says that uh, on my best day, I'm borderline. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good quote. Uh, they go in and look around. Um, Jim finds a folder underneath the blotter and says, I didn't know people still hid things they didn't want people to find <laughs> under blotters. Uh, this is just another confluence with the reincarnation of Angie, where he finds the safe combination on a piece of masking tape underneath the drawer and says, yes. the stereotype is for people to put it on a piece of masking tape underneath their drawer. I can't believe that worked. So I like that device where it's like, we'll do the obvious thing, but we'll have Jim be incredulous that this person is doing the obvious thing. That said, and I mean, I shouldn't announce this on the internet, but so much of my security is... Written on a piece of masking tape? A little password written on something that's just taped on the bottom of the computer. I don't do that. But like, it's very, very close to that. (laughs) So this hidden... Quote, folder is about a surgery on someone named Gage. And then yes. he notices that the other doctor involved was Dr. Rosendahl. And then he goes through the name of the anesthetician and the resident and the other people who were there, including a nurse named Gilda Stern. <laughs> and then we're like, aha, I've seen the title of this episode. She's already dead. <laughs> we only hear about Gilda Stern. We never see her. Um, Jim's looking at it and asks, what's arthroplasty? Uh, While he's trying to dig through files, Rita is looking through a stack of tapes that are all piled everywhere. Not organized well. No. Yeah, he has a funny way of filing. Uh, These look like they're all tapes of operations, um, but they're not in any kind of order or organization. And they're like, why would he keep a bunch of tapes? Maybe for reviewing or teaching students? Who knows? But bunch of tapes. That's something that was stolen from Rosendahl's house in that burglary. Yeah. A bunch of tapes. Jim's just throwing out ideas and maybe, because I guess the file is like Phil Gage. It's like maybe Gage is actually Gabriel. And then Rita turns on the light of the little x-ray viewing screen thing. (laughs) Thankfully, in a a piece of very important uh, narrative (laughs) convenience, there is an x-ray of a hip operation on there. And she recognizes the metal thing in there as the thing that fell out of the salesman's briefcase. And it's uh, part of an artificial hip, right? A hip replacement thing. I went through this narrative convenience here. I went through the whole cycle. What what, what is it? The grief cycle? Yeah, it's like denial, anger, bargaining, and acceptance or something. Anyways, maybe not that. But (laughs) I I was like, come on. And then I was like, oh, it could have been anyone's. This guy obviously does that kind of 
and then I was like, no, wait a minute. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Yeah. <laughs> At some point I was like, it occurred to me that he's in panic mode and would be looking for a way to fix the problem. So he, that may actually be Phil Gabriel's x-ray because he would be re-examining what happened mm. to see if he could make it right with this uh, terrifying mafioso, right? Like that was that was my arc of my brain saying <laughs> we got to make we got to bring this together. It doesn't matter. It was just it just did what it needed to do. Like or that's what he does. So it's just some random hip replacement that yeah. he's currently working on, right? Because um, they have the file with the like name and stuff. It doesn't necessarily. Yeah come from the x-ray again yeah it doesn't matter it is there so that rita can put those two things together that the shape of that thing is a hip replacement thing that the salesman had now we know that is don't necessarily know why it's important yet but then jim goes down the i will pause it and thus tell the audience (laughs) what if they're the doctors for this hip replacement surgery and something went wrong Gabriel is not going to write a letter to the AMA <laughs> and that salesman is sweating. He must know what's going on. We believe he's a salesman now. Right. Ne- Nevit is, is, is running scared. The salesman's yeah. running scared. It all seems to center around this hip surgery for Gabriel. All right. Time to track down the salesman. Uh, how hard can it be? There's got to be distributors and, you know, suppliers and only so many in the phone book. So we'll, we'll get to the classifieds in the morning. And then in just like the perfect chef kiss touch, uh, just little detail. Camera yes. stays in the room. They leave, close the door. There's a beat. And then Jim opens the door again, turns off the light, and then closes the door. Yeah, no, that was great. I, I even put that in my notes, too. I don't know why I love that so much, but it was just like, oh, yeah. Uh, it's just this perfect little like, yeah, Jim's a professional. Yeah. It's also very human to be excited about what's going to happen next. And almost forget to turn off the light. All right. So we go from there to uh, our non-creepy goon watching TV. And then the other goon wheels in Gabriel in a wheelchair. And so we're now firm because we've only seen him sitting down so far. right? Yeah. And so this scene is establishing that he can't walk because of this surgery that went wrong. He's watching this uh, TV show or movie or whatever with an earpiece in so that he won't disturb anyone, which is, again, a great detail. Abe Vigoda wants to know what he's watching, and he's watching Moby Dick. It's great. There's a sea captain and this whale. They mix it up. <laughs> Gabriel knows all about it. It's that captain with a tent peg for a leg. And that sets him off into just like uh, how those creeps turned me into a tea cart. The goon uh, is saying that he didn't know he didn't even notice the leg. It was about the whale. He just cares. Yeah, he's just interested in the whale. But Gabriel clearly is obsessed with this. I've been I've been crippled, and right. the the merest mention of something like that is setting him off, uh, which is both sad, but also like you are like Ahab. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it, but you are obsessed with this to an unhealthy degree. Um, He's run out of patience. Uh, Dr. Nevis said that if anything happens to him, that he has that tape. He's going to send it to the cops. So I want that tape, no matter what it takes. Find it, mm-hmm. bring it to me, and bring me Nevitz. I'm going to do him myself. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's all the pieces, right? Now that we've seen his state. We know what's going on. We know what's happening. Uh, I do like that this this bit is the 
Goodfellas, oh, I'm funny to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seeing like there's the the menace that is both a portraying it, but it's also this this goon's reaction to like trying to walk out of it, like right, trying to walk it back. Like it's just a movie. Like I didn't even notice the peg leg. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just wanted to see the whale. Uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's the little arc for this goon. I don't really know what the arc is. I guess he's trying to do his best in a very difficult working environment. (laughs) I feel like he is being pointed in a direction that says, this is not the profession for you. (laughs) He's being nudged in that way. He he makes no decisions on that account in this episode, but Mm -hmm. I can imagine a little further down the line where he's like, okay, you know what? This was a bad idea. I shouldn't have gotten onto Ahab's ship. <laughs> uh, we go to Jim calling from a restaurant, uh, calling Rockies to talk to Rita. Mm-hmm. He has done the gym things and tracked down this salesman whose name is D. Pilmer. And he's going to go talk to him now. So he's just, I guess, calling Rita to keep her in the loop and also kind of establish for us where we're at with the yeah. story. So uh, Pilmer is having some kind of salesman business meeting with someone. Uh, and there's a bunch of paperwork and Jim just goes over and kind of quietly says, Mr. Gabriel sends his regards and then goes back over to the bar. Uh, Pilmer leaves his client to come talk to Jim and they have a bit of a, uh, it's not really a confrontation, but they have a conversation. Pilmer says, I know you don't work for Gabriel. Uh, you were hired by Rita. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't have to tell you anything. And then (laughs) Jim's like, I know more than you think. And he names all the people who were involved with that surgery. So Pilmer says that uh, there was nothing malicious. Nobody right. wanted to leave uh, leave Gabriel, uh, leave him crippled, as he says. You know, these things happen. But now he's, you know, he's he's taking it out on the people involved, right? Uh, hunting them down one by one. Uh, Jim says that if there's something tangible to take to the cops, like perhaps this video that seems to exist, it would solve both of their problems because they would have evidence to put Gabriel away, and it would spring Rita free of the murder charge. Mm-hmm. Pilmer says that uh, Dr. Nevitt does have a tape, and he hid it somewhere because he doesn't care about anyone else. He just wants to keep his professional standing. He'll let the rest of them all go down as long as he's insulated right. and safe. And Jim says that, well, he could be very persuasive. So let's <laughs> go talk to Dr. Nevitt. Um, this is kind of fun because it's not a big action finale, which is actually unusual. Mm-hmm. Most Rockford episodes do end with some kind of action, and this is more of a drawing the noose close, kind of Columbo style, just kind of establishing everything and letting it all close in. Did we skip over the chase? There was a chase. I made a note about it. It was in the montage, even. Oh, we did skip over it. So there was a chase. Yes. <laughs> it was after Jim and Rita leave her apartment, after he eats her Danish. Ah, uh, the old sales lot dodge. Cause, right, because that's where the J-turn was. I remember mentioning the J-turn, so I thought we talked about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's much earlier in the episode. It's it's just that the, the goons see them leaving. They try to block them with their car. Jim pulls a J-turn from a stop, from a standing position. Yeah. To get going the other way and evade them. Does a couple maneuvers to slow them down as they have to swerve to not hit other cars and stuff. And then pulls the old pull into a parking lot and duck routine. So they speed (laughs) by and then when they pop up, the car is gone. And that's when Rita sees them as like, yes, those are the two guys that I saw that night. All right, good. I just want to make sure we covered that. Again, yeah, just 
breezed right over that. I was so excited to talk about the uh, the, the bird scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now though, we go to we go to Jim Nevitz and Pilmer leaving the tennis club. So they've already had a conversation, and now they're leaving and continuing the conversation. Nevitt resents these allegations, denies everything, and Jim's like, my theory is that Rosendahl ended up with the tape, and so you stole it from him. So that's what that burglary is about, and now you've hidden it. So you're the one with the power to make this all go away. Uh, Nevitt says, well, he has the most at stake, because he's such a prominent doctor or whatever. He could lose his license. I don't know if he states that, but that seems to be the implication. Uh, and Pilmer says they all have the same thing at stake. Gabriel killed Gilda Stern. Right. He's just going to kill everyone, right? Uh, so apparently she's the one who told him that something went wrong with the operation. She was the uh, yeah. Florence Nightingale who blew blew the whistle <laughs> on all of them. So I guess that started Gabriel down this path. Nevitt says that Gabriel will be too scared to move as long as that tape is still, you know, still safe. He doesn't want to do anything. But Jim says that, well, they're just going to have to go to the cops with what they have. Pilmer's account, my mm-hmm. what Rita's happened, what I've found out. And then Nevitt, like, talks himself into it, which is really interesting. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. How's it going to look if you go to the police without me? It'll look like I have something to hide. It'll look like a cover-up. Come on, let's get the tapes. Uh, which was surprising to me because I expected him to still be part of the mafia <laughs> until this moment. He's been nothing but shady up to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we know that his motivation is self-interested, but it's not because he's he's neck deep in any kind of corruption or anything like that. I mean, I think it takes a little work to connect the dots here, but yeah, instead of Jim spelling out for him why it's in his best interest to go to the cops he kind of realizes that if anyone goes to the cops, all of a sudden it's better for him to be with them than to be on his own. Yeah. And Jim has a big smile at the end of that scene. <laughs> uh, so now we get to our, our final showdown at, at Becker's desk uh, in, in just the public area at the police station. Uh, everyone's there. Uh, I think the goons are not there. Mm-hmm. But all of our other folks who we've seen are there. Um, Gabriel is there in a wheelchair uh, with his lawyer, who first I said, who looks like Magnum PI, is a great look <laughs> for a lawyer. With an, but he has an enormous bushy mustache. Or does he look more like Magnum TA, who was a wrestler, <laughs> who was like referencing Magnum PI with his gimmick? So I think if you look it up, this uh, this lawyer is more of a Magnum TA because he's very beefy. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I'll represent you in the courtroom and in the ring. Tragically, he uh, was in a car accident that ended his career and sucks because it's one of those like great what ifs of wrestling history. Right. Anyway, there's some sniping back and forth between Gabriel and Rita. Gabriel has the the wonderful line of everyone gets to work their mouth. That's the American way. (laughs) Proving it. That's something else. Uh, It's so good. He's full of wisecracks for every occasion, but he seems kind of tired. Like, it, it seems very mm-hmm. much like he has led a life where he's had to go through these things many times. Right. Let's just get to the point. 
Dennis has taken the liberty of trimming the tape to just the important part, which is just uh, a couple minutes, you know, like a minute or so of this tape. So we watch everyone watch this on the little TV screen. And it's very dramatic. Uh, to summarize, I guess the surgeons are having trouble with the replacement. It's not going in right. And we're hearing like groans from a Vagoda. It's so hard to watch. And I've never had this surgery. I'm just like, oh, and it's not gruesome, right? They don't show you it. Yeah, we're just seeing like the top down camera of everyone in scrubs. Yeah. Um, but then they call for Pilmer because he's there. And yeah. he's the one who actually puts the, who gets it in right. Who like gets yeah. it set how it's supposed to be. And then someone, and I couldn't tell from the voices if this was supposed to be Pilmer or just someone else, but someone in the room is like, hey, this isn't Phil Gage. This is Phil Gabriel. <laughs> from Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the killer. Yeah. Yeah. So what? We should sew him up without a hip? No, that's not what I'm saying. I just thought you should know. Could you tell who that was supposed to be? I think that might have been Rosendahl, but I'm not entirely sure. There's two bits of confusion because everyone's wearing scrubs, so I don't know who that's supposed to be. And maybe this is intentional, but I I couldn't tell then if the uh, Phil's injury is then an an accident of this struggle to get it in Mm -hmm. or... Like, they just gave up because they realized they had a horrible person on the table. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like were they implying that at some point someone involved in the surgery made a decision they saw as ethical uh-huh. in not helping this guy? And I couldn't tell. I read it as an accident. Okay. Um, both because we hear, and I think that's Nevitt's voice who's saying, what, we should sew him up without a hip? Yeah. We're doing surgery. Yeah, yeah. This is our job. My job is not to judge this person. Um, then we have the, the camera focus on Gabriel. And he's just like, so a salesman put my hip in. Yeah. That's the, the crux of it, right? And Nevitt's saying like, no, it was appropriate for him to be there. He's a licensed sales technician. If it's in the best interest of the patient, blah, blah, blah. And uh, uh, Gabriel's just like, this is fanning his obsessive right. rage. Yeah. Nevitt says that. The fact is. There is no need for you to be in a wheelchair. There is no need at all. You could be on crutches. Of course, with crutches, there would be a certain discomfort. Pain, not discomfort, pain! I ought to kill you where you stand. I ought to kill you slow. Not like Rosendahl. It was too good for him. He's so obsessed with his own pain and his own, like, frustration with what, what the injustice done to him. That he mm-hmm. clearly isn't even really aware of where of the people around him, right? Again, like the the Moby Dick callback, like he, he's he's obsessed with what's happening to him in a way that that makes his reaction to it the fact that he's going to kill everyone involved yeah. in it. Like, oh, this man's broken, just broken. That's that's all that's happening. He's mm-hmm. he's not connected to reality in a way that that would make any sense. So my read of, like, it was an accident is kind of from the combination of all of that. Yeah. But, like, the secret, I guess, that everyone was keeping from Gabriel was that it wasn't even a real do- a real doctor who, like, right. put it in and now he's in all this pain. I mean, which sucks. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, I don't know if it's malpractice. Like, it, I thought it was weird that the 
hip replacement equipment salesman was the one who was setting it in a bone. I feel like that isn't something that actually could or should happen, but I don't know yeah. about I don't know anything about orthopedic surgery. <laughs> None of us do. Uh, so we end this with Dennis asking, so you did kill Dr. Rosendahl and Gilda Stern. And he just <laughs> keeps mumbling about what he's going to do to these doctors. Like, I should kill you where you stand, where you stand. Uh, yeah. yeah. And Dennis just quietly says, All right, take him to interrogation room three, read him his rights. Sorry, Abe. Yep. So we get to our last scene uh, where Rita is wrapping presents for everyone. This is the scene that ties up so many loose ends for me. Yes. <laughs> Even though they're just going to open them in a second, mm-hmm. she still wants to make, sh- she still wants to wrap them because otherwise what's the fun? And Jim's like, let her do what she wants. Remember the difficulty I had in giving you your car back? That's, you know, obviously a callback to the previous episode. I think we did spend some time wondering about the fate of that car. Apparently he finally forced her to take it back. Yeah. And here's the thing we know about Rita. She gives gifts. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why she's in the position she, uh, financial position she's (laughs) in right now. And yeah. Uh, so she made necklaces for Rocky and Dennis in her jewelry <laughs> class. And we have an amazing pure gag back and yeah. forth of like, oh my God, Rocky opening it and pulling it out and being like, oh, it doesn't go with my shirt. And Dennis saying, oh, it's a basic. It goes with everything. And yeah. insisting that he put it on. And then he opens his and it's also a necklace. And D- Dennis is like, well, I'm practically in uniform and Dennis is nowhere near uniform. <laughs> and Rocky's like, oh, come on, it's basic, and like gets him yeah. back immediately. Oh, so good. Um, but then for Jim, Rita made him a money clip. And so it's this like money clip with a big R like soldered onto it. <laughs> and he takes it out of the box, but it pokes him because there's a wire in there that he didn't <laughs> didn't have time to trim back because she made it special and had to finish it real fast. And you'll have something to put in it as soon as I pay you. <laughs> yeah. All right. I love this money clip. For a number of reasons. First of all, it just puts the button on how much Jim's earned this episode. <laughs> Precisely what's in that money clip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so great that she gives him a gift of a money clip for money she'll eventually put in it. That's all beautiful. But also, it ties into the answering machine message. Mm, so it does. If you recall, at the beginning, somebody found his wallet, is really into the leather... It is going to return the contents of the wallet, but keep the wallet. Nice. So Jim could really use a money clip. I didn't even think about that. Well <laughs> spotted. So he takes her aside. He's, he thanks her for the gift, takes her aside a little bit, and is like, look, I just really need to know what happened to all the money. Yes. And you're not going to give me any static, and I'm not going to have to hear about it from you for the rest of my life. It was this guy. Rita. Oh, yeah, but Jim... I had such a good time spending it. (laughs) And freeze frame on the two of them sharing a laugh in a uh, comradely side hug. (laughs) Ah, good times. End of episode. Yeah. So I I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. We were talking about this a little before we started recording, but like my notes were a little thin on this episode. And I think part of it was just because I... Stop typing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, just enjoyed watching what was happening. I mean, we skipped over a J-turn. like Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Rita was great. I, I, again, I just love how 
different people are around. Well, okay. I keep saying people. It's Dennis. Yeah. I love how different Dennis is around her. (laughs) And I love how Rocky is with her. Mm -hmm. The plot is like, it's, it's a great, like, what the hell did you get roped into? Yeah. Uh, Rockford plot. I mean, the very beginning is just like, all you really need to know is just, she happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there we go. But then, yeah, but then the whole story is so, I mean, it's, I guess it's a mystery. It's a mystery without actually having, like, mysterious elements. Like, it's very straightforward once you know what's going on. Yeah. The mystery of it is how we get kind of directed towards thinking it's going to be one thing, and then it's not. It's not a big mafioso deal gone bad or some kind of thing about a bunch of money moving around or... Uh, a threat to this guy's position or anything like that. It's like this super personal yeah. story about a guy who's obsessed with something that, yes, that is bad. That should not have happened to you. But, you know, that Moby Dick reference, again, it becomes, it's very on the nose, but that is also what channels us into being like, okay, this is a personal crusade that this guy is in and falling deeper and deeper into this obsession. And mm-hmm. like, even his goons are like, Okay, dude, like, if that's what you want, we'll do it. But, uh, like, in that conversation, one of them's even like, let's give it a couple days and see how it comes out with the cops or whatever. And and he's like, no, I'm tired of waiting. Do it now. Even though it's not the best way to go about it. And we get that from the very beginning because, he like, they pull Rosendahl in front of him. And then when Rosendahl runs, he's the most worried that they're going to kill him where he can't watch. Yeah. Like, don't shoot him. Don't shoot him. I want to see. I want to see. And uh, at first, that feels like a weird, that feels convenient to, like, allow uh, Rita to, sure. to, to escape. Mm-hmm. But it just keeps coming back in that character over and over again. I, I have an ongoing theory. I've talked about this probably in some early episodes. I feel like I probably haven't mentioned it in a while. I have the, the position that uh, when you have, like, a movie or a TV show or whatever structured around the struggle between a hero and a villain... It's really only as good as the villain. Yeah. Only in rare instances does a lackluster villain lead to a great story. Uh, and I think this is a story with a great villain. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, not because he's particularly villainous, even though he is, because he's just like, let's murder people. Right. Uh, due to my own selfishness. Uh, but it's like, it's the stakes are so personal. Yeah. His his obsession is what is creating the, the drama that is clearly villainous, but it has that understandable edge of like, you know, all great villains think that they're the hero, right? I don't think he thinks he's a hero, but you can see the path he went down. He feels that he's the victim at the very least. Right. Yeah. And like, we've all had something that happened that was unfair and mm-hmm. led to physical pain or led to, you know, a situation we didn't want to be in. And it's like, if you have the power to lash out, like that's the villain that he's the lat, you know, that he's taking that and turning that into causing more pain, right? It's good. He's a good villain and a memorable, makes for a memorable center of this story that is in a way kind of lighter than the Paper Palace. Like it has a little more air in it because like Rita is less terrified in this episode than she was in the first one. Yeah. She's under a similar threat, but she's with Rockford for most of it. I think until the moment of the car chase, (laughs) she is unaware that she is the target of a murder. Right. Before, until then, she just thinks she's under a murder rap Mm -hmm. and she knows she's innocent. So she thinks my friends will get me out of this or, you know, like the truth will 
will come out. Uh, and then there is a moment after the car chase where she clearly is shaken by what happens. Yes. And and from that point on, there's like a little bit of a, uh, I mean, it's not like on all of her scenes, but it just like, okay, mm-hmm. we're dealing with an unstable element here. But like logistically, she stays with Rockford yep. basically for the rest of the episode, which means that we get to have all of her comedic interactions with Rocky. Yeah. I guess that's what I mean when there's a little more air. Like, even though, like, I find the stakes very compelling, but I don't feel like they're in imminent danger. Yeah, they're not, like, all this pressure. Yeah, so it's a little more about, let's see how this goes, and less, like, how are we going to save Rita? Uh, And even worse, how are we going to save Rita from herself? Right, which is not really in, I mean, Jim wants to know what happened. Yeah. But because he's a friend, not because he's judging her. But, like, if this episode, if this... For whatever reason, instead of Rita with this doctor, mm-hmm. let's say Angel was trying to talk this doctor into investing in something sure. and was going to take him at the very beginning. And so then this whole thing plays out as an Angel rather than a Rita episode, right? You would spend most of this energy trying to save Angel from himself. Yes. Right? Like yeah. Angel would make a bunch of decisions that would just make things worse put him in more danger. Uh, and Rita's not doing that in this episode, and that's lovely. And then we end the episode with Jim understanding, like, why he yeah. blew all that money. Because you wanted to, right? Like, that's what yeah. it comes out to in the end. You didn't get cheated. You didn't make a bad investment. You didn't have it get stolen from you. You spent it on something you wanted to spend it on. Yeah. And, like, that's what else is money for? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is a good one. Yeah. Shockingly, another Rita Moreno <laughs> episode. It's also very good. Ah, yay. Jim makes no money. No. But he did get a bite of Danish. Yes. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't wreck any cars. He right. doesn't, like, so he's he's not out any particular amount of money. He doesn't even have to put up her bail. Mm-hmm, yeah. And in a fun little twist, it's the mob that ends up bailing her out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. It's one that just hangs together. Everything hangs together just how it should. Everything feeds into other stuff in the episode. Uh, it's it's up there. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I don't have three hundred thousand dollars to go spend on a on a man. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't have three hundred thousand pennies to spend on anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like we've earned our uh, our two hundred for this day. What do you think? I believe so. Yes. Well, then we'll leave it there. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files.